This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I've always found our gospel passage for today fascinating. The setting is a familiar one, religious argument, something savored by the Jewish tradition up to the present day. If you ever stop by a yeshiva, a place of Jewish higher education, you'll see this method on display. People argue about the Torah or about the Talmud. So it's a very ancient and still contemporary uh, Jewish method of dealing with the sacred text. They argue. Well, in our passage for today, Jesus is pitted in argument against some Sadducees. They were Jews in his time who did not believe in the resurrection. Now, again, a lot of their descendants are around today in certain liberal forms of Judaism that don't hold to the resurrection of the dead. Well, the Sadducees in this argument are using an old logical trick that's called reductio ad absurdum, showing that the implications of a given conviction lead to ridiculous conclusions. So you'll hear that a lot in people's debating style. If you hold to this, what it'll mean at the end of the day is something really ridiculous. Or if you hold to that, it's got crazy consequences. That's what they're doing here. In this case, the Sadducees use the Leveret Law, this law of Levi, which stipulated that if a man died leaving his wife childless, that man's brother was obligated to raise up children for him to marry his widow. Now, given that, comes the reductio ad absurdum. They say to Jesus, now what if the same woman, under this rubric, married seven brothers in succession? So each brother had died, uh, and so she marries the seven of them. At the resurrection... Whose wife would she be? She married seven brothers. Now, the implication is, look how silly this belief is. Reductio ad absurdum. Now, the Sadducees here remind me, actually rather vividly, of a lot of people with whom I deal in my YouTube forums. You know, these little commentaries I make on YouTube and people uh, come back at me and they answer me. So, you believe in talking snakes, you believe in a Jewish zombie who came back from the dead, was born of a virgin, walked out in the water. They, they reduce religious claims to the level of the absurd, trying to show that all religious claims, at least Christian ones, are superstitious and fanatical. So that's, I think, the method being used here by the Sadducees. Is, look, look how crazy it is to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, a distinction I know I've made with you before, but it's a very important one, I think, and I'll make it again today. The sub-rational is not the same as the supra-rational, though they have in common an opaqueness to reason. Okay, let me say that again, and I'll explain it. The sub-rational, that which is below reason, is not the same as the supra-rational, what goes beyond reason. 
even though they have in common an opaqueness to reason. Reason doesn't quite see it or get it. Subrational things are just silly. They're just superstitious. They're below the level of reason. That's why they remain in the darkness. But supra-rational things are above reason. What I mean is, they're too much for reason to take in. Keep in mind, even at the physical level, we can fail to see for one of two basic reasons. Either not enough light, or too much light. Superstitious things correspond to not enough light. They're just, they're just below the light of reason. But... Other things, supra-rational things, we don't see because they shed too much light. They overwhelm reason, if you want. Jesus' strategy here is to show that the resurrection of the dead is a supra-rational reality. Notice now how he sets aside the facile suppositions of the Sadducees. He says, The children of this age marry and remarry. But those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection neither marry nor are given in marriage. I see what he's trying to do here with my sub-rational, super-rational distinction in mind. He's trying to orient them to a dimensional system, if you want, beyond this ordinary one, beyond the world with which they are familiar He's telling them that resurrection from the dead has to do with a realm beyond this one and therefore with something that's, that's beyond our ken, something that cannot be directly seen due to an excess of light. Now, look, in this world, marriage is so important precisely because we die. Think about that. Marriage is important for us, legitimately, because we die. Since we all die, we are hyper-concerned, legitimately, with the endurance of the race. And that's why people get so worked up about marriage. Why we surround it appropriately with laws and restrictions and prohibitions. But, what if there were a realm in which death did not hold sway? What if there were a realm in which people didn't die, in which death has no more power? In that world, which is indeed above what our reason can take in, marriage just wouldn't matter that much. Now, mind you, I'm not denigrating marriage in any way. Within our dimensional system, it's of enormous value. But in the world to come, in the heavenly realm, Jesus says people won't marry and they won't be given in marriage because they would have risen above it. They would have found a way of relating that lies beyond even this most intense form of relating that we call marriage. Now, put this in this perspective. This sort of helps me to understand it. Think of those things that legitimately are of great importance to little kids. He stole my truck. She took my doll. Well, I mean, those things are trivial to us, of course, but they're enormously important to toddlers. I mean, that's their whole thing. And so they're very concerned about who has which toys and so on. 
Now, when those kids grow up a little bit, they come into adolescence, they leave those things behind. They don't really care who's playing with their truck or their doll, right? But now, other things begin to matter enormously to adolescents, to 16-year-olds. Getting a driver's license. Getting a date for the prom. Making the team. Okay, those are very important to 16-year-olds. But now those kids grow up into adulthood and suddenly those things don't matter so much. New things begin to matter to middle-aged people. Getting the top of one's corporation, being admired, acquiring lots of money, etc. And then, you know, when middle-aged people become old people, they've got a whole new set of concerns. My point is, we tend to leave behind the things that preoccupy us as we move into different stages of life. Okay. In a similar way, marrying and being given in marriage matter enormously and legitimately in our world due, as I said, to the fact that we die. But in the realm beyond this one, where death has no more sway, in that realm, marriage itself will fade away. Much as the preoccupations of adolescence fade away when one becomes an adult. Notice, please, now what Jesus adds here, and it's central to the argument I'm making. He's talking about people in the next world, and he says, listen, they no longer die, for they are like angels. Ah, interesting, isn't it? That's the hinge. In a world beyond death, marriage and being given in marriage are no longer of such primary significance. You know, it's a little bit of an aside, but I think it's worth making here. This is precisely why celibacy is so objectionable and so fascinating. Now, I'm speaking, obviously, as a celibate priest. For a lot of people, this is just a stumbling block. I mean, why would anyone give up marriage? Why would anyone accept a life that doesn't involve uh, getting married, having children, etc.? It's because the celibate person is witnessing to this next world. The celibate person, by his or her life, is witnessing to a way of loving that will obtain for all of us in the next world. This is also why, yes, celibacy is objectionable, but it's also fascinating. Somehow we sense in the celibate way of love, something of the heavenly way of love. Now, again, that would be a sermon for another time to develop all that, but I think it it fits in here in an interesting way. Notice, finally, how Jesus argues for his position against the Sadducees. He says that the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush, when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For he's not God of the dead, but of the living. That's fascinating. God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, let's face it, passed away. I mean, even in, in Moses' time, they passed away many, many years before. 
their bodies were, were long uh, reduced to dust. And yet God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God is a living God. Therefore, these figures are alive in God. Jesus does not offer demonstrations of the immortality of the soul. In fact, Jews didn't believe in the body-soul division the way Greeks do. They wouldn't look for, well, there's some spiritual part of me that survives after death. Nor does Jesus appeal to evidence from near-death experience or brain chemistry. Those, the, those are indeed, I think, rather fascinating. He appeals to the power of God who transcends space and time. He appeals to the living God in whose presence and through whose power we will live. In the measure that even now, linked to God by desire and aspiration, we are living in the eternal realm. In a certain way, even now, we are in the eternal presence. That, if you want, friends, is the biblical argument for the afterlife, for the hereafter. And finally, this is why, quite rightly, we believers don't feel forever separated from our beloved dead. We know that even now, in God, we are one with them, and they are with us. I'm speaking these words, of course, in the midst of November, the great month where we remember the dead. It's not just an act of remembering a distant figure from a distant time. It's being present now in God with the dead. That's our hope. This realm beyond this world where people do not marry, they're not given in marriage, but live a new way of love in God. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere. Everywhere.